You are listening to sermons from the pulpit of the Bible Baptist Church in Marysville, California. We hope you will be blessed as you listen to another practical message. My favorite chapters, we're going to go to Exodus chapter 17. Exodus 17, and we're going to go to um, verse 8 through 12. Um, Nothing really deep here, but just some things that the Lord was moving in my heart tonight and today. And um, uh, Brother Cranston, if your pastor would have known you were going to be here, then you probably would have been able to preach. And I thought about just doing that old number, instant in-season, and out-of-season, and just giving you the call. When I saw you walk through the door, it was like, here we go. <laughs> so anyway, so uh, let's go to Exodus 17, verses 8 through 12. I'm just going to share some thoughts and what the Lord gave me. Hopefully it's a blessing to you. Hopefully it'll be an encouragement. And uh, maybe we can share some thoughts afterwards and um, just get to um, understand what the Lord's got for us here. Um, so here it says, Then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out men and go out and fight with Amalek tomorrow. I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses had said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy and they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat thereon, and Aaron and Hur stayed up, stayed up his hands, the one on the one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear Lord God, I come to you in the name of Jesus. And um, Lord, I don't want to uh, speak right now. I just want you to hide me behind the cross, Lord. Uh, I have nothing to say. I just pray, Lord God, that your word would... Uh, speak for itself. I pray that you would just open each and every one of our hearts, Lord God. Help us to get something from the opening of and the reading of your word, Lord God. I pray that you be lifted up and that you be glorified in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, I'm going to share a couple different personal things with you tonight um, because I think it's very important. Uh, as pastor called me, or pastor's wife called me yesterday and asked if I would preach, um, and I've had about three or four different messages roll through my head. Um, but this is the one that the Lord brought me to. And I'll just kind of go over the reason why there was a lot of different things that happened over the last 24 hours that made me preach on this. I'd like to start out by looking. We're going to step back a couple verses. And before there's a battle in your life, a lot of times there's a stirring or there's some commotion or there's some situations to fray you from the battle that you prepared to fight for. And we look back in verse 3 and 4, and it says, And the people thirsted there for water, and the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this, that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do unto this people? They be almost ready to stone me. Now, if God brought them up out of Egypt, that same God that brought them out had the ability to take care of their needs. 
what you have is you have a lack of faith and you have a lack of trust and you see the people time and again went through this process time and again they went from trusting God to not trusting God and you had a group in many different situations they would take and they would murmur they would start a little bit of a story over here they would start a little backbiting over here a little bit of an issue and God had to quelch that in several different ways throughout the book of Exodus as they're departing and as they're wandering in the wilderness for many, many years. So first you find a stirring. As I was looking at this, I was thinking about, and you can't help but think, I've got, uh, I'm an RU guy through and through, and because I'm an RU guy, I look at something and often a proverb will come to mind or Psalms 1 will come to mind because we recite that at the beginning of RU. I do want to say this, I've asked many people to come visit RU, and they'll tell me, uh, I don't have an addiction. And I'll say, you're absolutely right, you don't have an addiction. But I was thinking this weekend, how many of us can park our car inside the garage? We have things in our garage that we don't need. A car is supposed to go in the garage, but nobody has room for a car in the garage. I'm just saying, but nobody's got an addiction here. so. And I'm not pointing anybody out. Miss Cole, you can get your car in the garage. I know that, so I believe that. Okay. But anyway, that was the side note. But as I, as I think about RU, I'm thinking, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. And God said his blessing would be upon people that didn't do these things. Then he goes on in verse 2, and he tells them what he will bless them for when things that they do do. But even today in churches and in ministry, it hasn't changed from what was going on at this time. They were murmuring and they were scorning. And we still see that happen today. Wherever you're at, there's murmuring and there's scorning going on. And people like to take that seat of the scorner. But... Let's move on. So that was the stirring that happened before the battle. But I want to actually talk about the battle. Let's look at verse 9. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. Leadership must take a stand. Leadership must take a stand and say this is what we're going to do. That's the responsibility of leadership when our leaders, yesterday people came out and we got these little fancy buttons that said I voted. And we expect those leaders to go into office and to make decisions and to make choices that are going to be in the best interest of us as a people. When we choose a pastor for a church and usually a, a deacon board will put that pastor in place we expect that pastor to lead that church and to lead the people of that church. And here, the pastor, the leader of the Israelite people, was trying to lead the people. And he says, we're going to go out and we're going to fight because Amalek wants to fight. We're going to show them what a fight is. And so he told Joshua, his, his general, he said, go out, pick out you some men and be prepared to battle. And I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to stand on the hill and I'm going to lift up the rod of God before you 
and that will give you the strength and the power that you need to continue on. So we see that the leadership here took the fight to them. I wanted to take it into modern-day America today. We take and we have a fight, and I think that we can look at the fight is we are losing our nation. We are losing the battle against evil and wickedness in high places. We're losing it. The battle is on, and often we are quiet. We know what Matthew 28 says, go ye into all the world. I don't know about you, but somehow, somewhere, at some point in time, I realized I was part of the ye. We're all part of the ye, and we're, we're not asked to go into the world. It's not, a, it's not say, hey, will you do this? Are you willing to do this? It's go ye, go do it. We are commissioned. We are told this is our job. Now, many of you are, uh, have worked in business. Most everybody's had a job or had a profession at some point in time. If you did, how many of you would like an employee that was told to do something, and they're like, you know what? It doesn't fit into my schedule. Ah, I don't think it's for me. Ah, that's really not my line of work. If you're commissioned to do something, it's something we ought to do. We really ought to go and serve the commission that we've been given. We've been given eternity. We've been given a blessed hope. We've been given joy and peace that passes all understanding. And he's asked us one thing. Go. Pass out a track. Give a smile. Be a testimony. He's told us to go. I don't like to pick on Miss Joanne, but yes, I do. You cannot go to a restaurant and walk out of the restaurant without Miss Joanne taking 10 minutes to go out of the restaurant because she's passing out 10 tracks to everybody. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We all ought to have that heart. We all ought to be that way because we are in a world that is dying and going to hell. We have family and friends that are dying and going to hell. And we've been instructed very clearly, Matthew 28, Mark chapter, chapter 16, to go. Now, some people say, you know what, it's just, I don't like arguments, I don't like hard times, I don't like rough things. If you would, turn to Jude 23 uh, real quick with me, and that's Jude 1, 23. I'm not an argumentative person, really, by most people's standards. And others save with fear, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. Here's the thing, guys. We have a responsibility, even if we have to give them the fear side, maybe going to Revelations chapter 20, and talking about the great white throne judgment. Maybe talking about the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Maybe talking about the pain and the suffering that's coming. To say, hey, hell's there. Hell's real. 
We need to be that mouthpiece that God's chosen us to be. If God didn't think you had the ability, he wouldn't have chosen you. And it's not about our ability anyway. It's about his ability in us and through us. But so often we're trying to be us, and we're not trying to be who he's made us to be, so we don't, we can't get out of the way enough in order to let the Lord work through us. And that's where we really come into our shortcoming. So we look at this, and the leadership has to take a stand. We look at verse 10 of that same chapter, so let's go back to Exodus chapter 17. In verse 10, it says, So Joshua did as Moses had said to him, and fought with Amalek, and Moses and Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Joshua was a good soldier. The commander told him what he was going to do, and the general went out and did it. Now, our track racks are in the back of the, of the auditorium. Tracks are in the office. We all have Bibles. We've all, this is, I mean, you guys are the cream of the crop, everybody that's here Wednesday night. Typically, this is the mature part of the church. But here's the thing. Are we discipling? Are we sharing the gospel with everybody so that we're bringing along other believers and strengthening them and encouraging them so that they understand that they're commissioned to go out and share the gospel? We ought to do that. <coughs> but here we see, the leadership took a stand, and then the fellowship, they followed. They listened to the command that they were told to do. Joshua didn't question Moses and say, hey, you know, I had another idea. Maybe we should go to the other side of the mountain. No, he went out. He chose men, and he went out to war, and he did what he was supposed to do. And what we need to understand in the apathetic Christian churches of today we're at war. We're at war. We've never been at war like we're at war right now. They're trying to turn our little boys into little girls, our little girls into little boys. They're not apologetic about it. They're not apologetic about the evil and the wicked that they're trying to do. They're trying to kill babies up to a, up to a month after they're born. When do we wake up? When do we stop being apathetic and realize there's a battle going on, the generals commanded us what to do, and we need to get out there and do it? We can't stand on the sidelines anymore. We can't keep our mouths shut anymore because their mouths won't stop talking. I don't know about you, but I have a conversation with some of my leftist friends, and they get offended, and when they get offended, it's time for me to shut up, according to them. But they want to go on all day long with their evil and their wicked thoughts that destroy life and destroy just the moral of a man and the God-given rights of a man. So we need to stand up, and it's time that we take it back to them. As we look at verse 11, it says, And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. And we look at this, and as I was just thinking about this, and it says, it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. When the man of God is in his place, 
Some of us think, oh, it's okay. Pastor's got this. Now, I have a thought for you. We had three people go in the hospital this week. Pastor didn't have it. He didn't have it because he was on his back. Last week, he falls on the roof. He didn't have it because he didn't have the strength. He was hurting. He was in pain. You know, a hospital visit, a big thing. Sending some flowers, a big thing. Sending a note of encouragement, a big thing. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've had some surgeries. I've been in the hospital a couple times. And if a card shows up, wow, there's that encouragement. It helps me through. But there's so much more to the Christian life than showing up Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. There's more to it. And that's not what we're saved for. We're not saved just to show up and say present. That's really not why we're saved. We're saved because there's a battle going on, and he thought you and I were the right soldiers for this battle at this very important time. He didn't pick somebody else. He picked us, and he picked us for right now. As we look at this um, area here, we see that they thought all was well because Moses, he was in his position. He was in his place. But we look down, farther on down in the verse, and it says, and when he let down his hands, Amalek prevailed. So when pastor's not strong or pastor's not leading, are we allowing the enemy to advance? There used to be an old saying that we would say that some preachers would rush hell with a water gun. Well, it'd be nice if we had a lot of people rushing hell with a water gun. Because I don't know about you, but I just want to stand before the Lord and say, I did all I could. I want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I want to hear it. I want to know that I made a difference. I want to know that the Lord worked through me and that I allowed him to work in me and out of me and that I got hid behind the cross so that the Lord would have his way and he would have what he wanted done. As we go into verse 12, there's a word there that I hate, and it's but. I was pointing out to somebody the other day that there's a lot of ifs and buts in the Bible. And a lot of times the buts are not that good. And here we see, but Moses' hands were heavy, and they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat thereon, and Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side and the one on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And as we look at these verses, there's always some buts. And right now, the world that we live in, there's a lot of buts. Brother Cranston's probably more aware of those buts than any of the rest of us because he goes from state to state attacking and fighting to make sure that those buts don't go into place. Often we don't even know what's happening in our legislative body because they do it, excuse me, at 2 o'clock in the morning. They do it under the veil of darkness. They do it when only at that point in time the wicked can prevail. That's when they do it. 
And the sad thing is, often you'll hear about a vote that, that happens or that passes, and I believe this bill on the 30 days of the infanticide, I believe that that bill or that vote went up to the minute that it was not supposed to be able to pass, and there was like 11 or 13 people that did not vote in person. They weren't there, but it was, they allowed that to go through and go on to the next step. Now, it's getting reworked, but they allowed it to go on to the next step because they weren't there in their place doing what they should have been doing. And I just wonder how often we as Christians are AWOL. Now, if you're AWOL in the military, I mean, I could ask uh, Ron Jewell what, a what happens if you're AWOL. We could ask Brother Franklin. I mean, many of our men have been in the military. We're close to a military base. But I think it's the brig, if I'm correct. Is it the brig? It's the brig. They go to jail for being AWOL, not being present where they're supposed to be. And there's a battle going on, and we need to be present. Um, if you would, go to uh, Ephesians 6, 11 through 12 real quick. And there it says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We're there. The devil's real. He's revealing himself. All you have to do is look at Nancy Pelosi, and that is the epitome of evil. She is the most vile, wicked woman I've ever heard speak. And her thoughts and the wickedness that she wants to put on our nation is just it's one bad thing after another. Just constantly evil. But here we see that we're supposed to put on the whole armor of God. Once again, we're being told to get in the battle. The, the strategy from the beginning has been the strategy that it still is today. Get in the battle. Be a good soldier. Take a stand. Withstand. It's the same message. It's always been the same message. It's just come at us in different ways. The message is good versus evil. And God gives us the power. If you go back on that verse, go back to uh, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. The problem is so often as Christians, we go out in the power of our might. We think, I got this. I can handle this. I've done this before. And when you start taking and stepping into that world of thinking, I've done this before. It's not going to be a winning situation. Not going to be a winning situation at all. I told you I was going to share a little something uh, that was personal. Um, in 2018, um, a lot of things were going on in my life. Most, many of you guys know about that. Uh, 2018, early on in the year, I went to Florida. And while I was in Florida, I uh, never joined a church, but I 
became an active member of Astatula Baptist Church. It is a church out in the middle of nowhere. It's on a dead-end road, and the church was getting ready to fail. Are you familiar with? Uh, no, okay. Um, but the church was getting ready to go under. And the pastor, um, Brother Travis Lane, said, you know what I'm going to do? He said, I'm going to try one last thing. He goes, I'm going to try to deal with the addicted in our community. So he grabbed an airline ticket. He went to RU in Rockford, Illinois. He took all the classes, studied the program, went back and he introduced it to his church. Now the church, I mean, financially, they're dying. They're falling apart. They're not going to grow anywhere. They're on a dead-end road. There's one stoplight in the entire town. Um, and there's not even another stop sign, just one stoplight in the entire town. 1,100 people. This church is going to fold. So he goes and he learns all this. He takes it back to his church. And the people not only get excited, they get excited about sharing the gospel. They get excited about salvation. They get excited about winning the lost. They get excited about bringing people that are addicted back to life. And the church goes on fire. On fire. I go back in 2019. So I left up three months later. I came back here. 2019, I go back to that church. And in 2019, as I drive up to the church, there's a new parking lot. Not only is there a new parking lot, but there's a new building that's being built. Beautiful building. I sent pastor pictures of it. I mean, beautiful building. And I'm just excited. I spent some time with Brother Lane, and he's telling me about everything that's going on and about all the exciting things that are happening in the church. And I'm just like, wow. Now, I went back there last year. The church is built, and they're having services in that church. They're live streaming from the church, and the church is growing very powerfully. Last Sunday. So I'm gonna, we're going to fast forward to last Sunday. Today, our hearts were full as we honored Pastor Lane and his family for 20 years of faithful service as senior pastor of ABC. Sounds good, right? although this was his last Sunday serving in this capacity. The mark he has left on so many lives will not soon be forgotten. Withhold not good from them to whom it is due when it is in the power of thine hand to do it. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. 20 years of service is an extraordinary accomplishment and asked if Tula Baptist Church has been extraordinarily blessed by the faithfulness of Pastor Lane and his family. We honor his legacy of loving God, loving others, and serving both. That's the church's statement. I want to read you his statement. I'm sure by now you've heard or read that I retired from ministry this past Sunday. I'm so overwhelmed with the love and support I'm receiving from ministry friends and loved ones. I want to give special thanks to the people of Astatula Baptist Church my last Sunday was so very special, and you made me see how much our family is appreciated. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. I officially retired as a pastor from Master Julia Baptist Church this past Sunday after 20 years for health reasons. 
Pastor Lane is my age. Actually, he's 53. He's your pastor's age. Exactly your pastor's age. Over the last years, I've been under extreme amount of stress, both from ministry responsibilities and personal discoveries. I battled in my mind over things that have been somewhat crimping at times. My nature is to take other people's problems and issues and insert myself into their life so their problems become my problems. The load of ministry is the heaviest a man can bear. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28, Beside those things that are without, that which come upon me daily, the care of all the churches. This was following his list of many trials he had been through. Pastoring is not for the faint-hearted or weak. It takes the strength of God to pastor. Still yet is a heavy, heavy burden. The care for people's souls is unlike any other burden. The decision to retire from ministry has not yet come, has not come easy. I've labored over it for the past year. The stress and the strain because identifying someone to reach out to. A pastor, pastor in a congregation, didn't find someone to reach out to. Confusing. You would think he had a lot of people to reach out to. But he found no man. We see that in the Bible as well. I believe it was Jeremiah that found no man. <clears throat> um, I had a mental breakdown from the stress I was under. Not all of it was ministry. Some was due to personal struggles from early in my childhood. Not grieving my stepdad's death. And dealing with the death of some close friends in ministry. As well as many other things. I've been counseling and will continue until my mind is free from the burdens I'm carrying. Taking care of your mental health is paramount to living a healthy whole life. I'm looking forward to the future and how God will use my life for his glory however he chooses. My desire since he first saved me has been to bless God and bless others. If he can make me a blessing to others, that's my desire. I am thankful he has provided a job for my family. Obviously, this is a huge step and not one entered into lightly. It was extremely hard to walk away from something I loved to do in my heart, but didn't have the strength in my mind to take it and to carry out the load of pastoring. I'm thankful for my family and their support. It's not easy on them. They've watched the lion and me in their lives at his weakest. I love them. I'm thankful for their prayers and tolerance of me during this valley. Some may not understand and believe I am following God's will. I assure you, God has given me the clearance to leave the pastorate. Since Sunday, I feel like an extreme burden, and weight has been lifted from me, from me and I'm thankful. My life verse is one thing I have desired of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire of his temple. I still intend to dwell in the house of the Lord. But I looked at this, and I read this letter. I made it personal. I'm going to tell you why. 70 plus percent of all pastors that go through a building program quit or resign within two years of ending that building program. I want you to think about this for a moment. If I were to die today, there would be a coffin here. I'd pick six guys or six guys would be picked to carry me in and carry me out. And at death, we bear the burden of another man. But we're not bearing that burden in life. And maybe it's somber 
But I'm wondering, because I never saw this in this man. I never saw him broken. I never saw him hurting. I never saw him without a smile on his face. He was always in the battle. He was always fighting for others. And it reminded me of a dear friend that sits in that chair that's always fighting for others. And as I prayed and as I spent the last 24 hours thinking about what God would put on my heart for tonight, this is what he gave me. Aaron and her put the man of God on a rock to secure him, to stabilize him, and they held up his hands so the battle could be won. I want us in a better way to come alongside of our pastor and to hold up his hands so that he can help us to win this battle. Because God, like he used Moses back in the Old Testament, he uses the man of God in the New Testament to lead the local church. That's his choice for an under-shepherd. I don't want it just to be words. I want us to commit to it. I want it to mean something. Last Saturday, we had a work day, semi, semi work day. And pastor's like, I don't want anybody here past 11. He's concerned for you. He fell on the roof two days earlier. For those of you that don't know, He's going up the slope. Probably will be upset with me for saying this, but he put me in the pulpit tonight, so it's his problem. <laughs> He's going up the slope. There's a piece of paper that's loose. He hits the paper. I heard it from the other side of the building when he fell. He fell hard. Saturday, Friday, his doctor told him, don't you go back up on that roof. For those of you that were here, he was on the roof. Now, he made sure that all the men got out of here at 11 o'clock. A couple of us stayed behind just to put tarps up. The roof's still undone. Pastor's been sick for four days. On Monday and Tuesday, he was awake for one hour. Just so exhausted and so depleted. I look at this letter. I don't want this to be my pastor. When are we going to get the stone and secure him? When are we going to hold up his hands? Who's going to commit to do that? We all have jobs. I understand that. We all have families. We all have lives. But we've been commissioned for something, and it's for a battle. And God uses the house of God to get that battle done. And the house of God has got a roof that's fallen apart and got a pastor that's broken. Let's go back to Exodus 17 real quick.
just ripped up my sermon notes. <laughs> Say with me. Brother Cranston, you ever done that? I, I don't know. I just, I was thinking Nancy Pelosi there for one minute. Remember when she, sorry about that. By the one man on the one side and the one man on the other side, they were stabilizing their leadership. They were making sure that it was steady. They were making sure that it could perform tomorrow. We need to stabilize our leadership. The ways that we can do that in our local church, I'm just going to give you a couple. Soul winning. Your pastor's heart, soul winning. Your pastor's heart's winning our community. Your Lord's heart is winning our community. Your Lord's heart is for us to win this community to the Lord. That's his heart. Not that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's his will. And it's never changed. He came, he died so that we could have eternal life, that everybody could have eternal life. We serve others. We stand beside our pastor. We strengthen one another. We share burdens. We shorten the load. How do you shorten the load? If we each pick up a piece, there's less for him to carry. It doesn't need to be a big piece. I was sitting at my desk um, Saturday afternoon, and I'm just sitting there, and I found a letter that Miss Coach wrote me a year ago. It encouraged me. I opened my Bible, and I saw a note that Jane Nolan wrote me with a picture. It encouraged me. It doesn't take a lot to encourage somebody. It doesn't take a lot to hold up their arms. Sometimes it's the little things, that note, that letter, that card. Maybe it's a gift card. Maybe it's taking them out to lunch. But if soul winning was, was full on Saturday morning, that's an encouragement. When people walk and say, hey, pastor, I saw two people saved this week, that's encouragement. There's so much we can do to encourage one another. And imagine if this church caught on fire. And the only way that we're going to catch on fire is we have a heart for the lost in our community. And we decide that there's a battle going on and we're ready to engage. Now I'm going to say this, I'm going to say this clearly. We have a pastor for a reason. Because he sets the parameters for that engagement. If you're representing Bible Baptist Church, Represent Bible Baptist Church well. Represent our Savior well. We don't want to go off and to do something that's contrary to our church and put our label on it. If there's a concern on what you're doing or how you're doing it, hey, pastor, I have a question. I was just wondering, I'm going to do this, this, and this. And let him say, hey, yeah, I give you my blessing on that. But one thing I know that you can do, all of us can do, Saturday morning, show up. 
And if you don't show up, let's say you can't show up and you're like, you know what, I'm all the way in Yuba City and it's so far away over that bridge. Ah, I feel your pain. Call him and say, hey, pastor, I already got my tracks. I'll be heading out the door at 1030 and I'm going to go knock 50 doors. I'm going to go knock 20 doors. Let him know you have a plan of action. Wow. Wow. These people care about the lost of our community. On the final note, um, sometimes we don't realize how close things are to home. In 2018, we had a, a gentleman here by the name of Elijah Royball. And he was coming out, and he was, he was in our U. Never came to church, but he was in our U. And many people will come to our U, but won't come to church. Now, there's this weird thing about why people will come to our U, but won't come to church. Anybody have an idea why that is? What's that? Some people believe that church is a shrine for the holy. They believe that they're sinners, and so they'll come to RU because RU is full of sinners. And people that recognize they're sinners, but they don't come to the church because of the righteous. And maybe what the righteous would say or do about their lack of holiness. But in RU, we embrace them. We love them. We care for them. And this young man, he was here for about six months. He was doing work projects on, now he had to do work projects. He was required by the court. But he was doing various different work projects. And about six months ago, I get the news that he ended his life. Now, the hard part is, that's the third person that I know of in our local community that's been to our church in the last six months that has ended their life. Pastor Lane talked about the burden that he was carrying, the burden that he was bearing, and the emotional stress that was on him. It's real. It's more real now than it's ever been before. People are struggling like never before. And the difference between a smile on your face and Jesus loves you makes all the difference in the world. Because maybe nobody else loves them according to their perception. Maybe nobody else cares. And that may be the one word that they need to hear on that very day that's going to make the difference in their life and their day. Let's hold up our pastor. Let's serve our community. And let's soul win. Because that's what we're commissioned to do. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear Lord God, we come to you and just thank you for this opportunity, Lord. We pray that you would just be glorified, lifted up. Pray, Lord God, that you'd work in our hearts and our lives and that you'd draw us closer to yourself. Lord, set us on fire. Give us a desire, Lord God, just to burn out for you. May we have a hunger and a passion, Lord God, to uh, work at your church house and to serve you and to serve others. 
May we hold up the arms of our pastor and help carry the burdens, Lord God. May we understand better, Lord, um, the pain that some people are going through and be able to share a smile and your word with them. I pray that you would be glorified and lifted up in the name of Jesus. We're going to just have a quiet time of invitation. If you'd like to, uh, Brother Bill, if you could go ahead and play it. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed our service. If you would like to hear more, visit our website at bbc4me.org. That's bbc, the number four, me.org. May God bless you.